good afternoon. Welcome to V for Various podcast with me, Tim Previtt. This first series of V for Various is made up of edited shows from the days of Redshift Radio, now Redshift Online, when I was doing a regular show called Something Different and occasionally covering for other people's shows too. Now, this episode is with a dark fantasy and horror author called Marie Cope. In this episode, we talk about, obviously, Marie's writings, dark fantasy horror in fiction, across TV, film and literature, Twin Peaks, Game of Thrones, ghosts, things that really make us feel creeped out, all feature in this episode. So stay tuned and enjoy the next 50 minutes as Marie and I explore all sorts of weird and wonderful things. All the music and former jingles have been edited out and I'll catch you again briefly at the other end of this podcast. Take care. I now have my guest in the studio with me, live. Yes, not dead, not undead, not zombie. I might be undead. <laughs> oh, you don't God. know, do you? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we are talking about The Walking Dead by email. Got a daylight ring on, you see. Uh, uh, I don't know uh, about that. Maybe I have to chat. <laughs> Welcome, Marie Ann Cope. Hi, Tim. Good to have you here in the studio. And things were different, because we were going to be pre-recording this in Nantwich Centre about now. But then I realised that one of our regular members of staff here at uh, Redshift isn't feeling too bright today. So in so I, I suggested, how about we actually do it live and cover Steve's show? And if you're listening in, Steve, I hope you're feeling much brighter soon. It's lousy having nasty sort of fluey stuff. So get well, Steve. But it's allowed... Marie and I to come into the studio and do a live show. Yeah, talk all things dark and horrory and scary. Ex- I hope. Yeah. In the middle of the day. How bizarre is that? Yeah, I usually do an evening slot, so I'm kind of sort of... So out- do I. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually after nine because of the subject matter. Okay. Well, okay, <laughs> yes. Yes, the 9pm watershed. Yes. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yes, Yeah, okay, yes, I yes. get you drift, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll, we'll help not help encourage marie to unpack more about your authoring work uh actually probably after this next song because it will probably kind of unpacks nicely a lot of what your writing is yeah, about it's many yeah. vampires is that right it is at the minute but um, there are you know i do introduce a few werewolves here and there and the odd ghost okay know. well that's but that's perfect like, for this, actually. like to keep a bit of variety mm. <laughs> so we got jace everett now with the theme from true blood do you remember that series Oh, oh, my goodness. Brilliant. I love it. I loved it. I absolutely have, loved it. I have box sets one to four, and I'm trying to pick up from the second-hand sort of like cash generator, cash converter type shops, the rest of the box sets, and then I can work my way through the entire series. Yeah. And love it. And then let's hear bad things. Now, Marie in the studio with me, dark and dark fantasy and horror author, has met one of the folk from Trooper. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was at, it was at Comic-Con in... Um, Wales Comic Con which is at Glyndor University in Wrexham and it was in December and I had the pleasure of meeting Dennis O'Hare who is a he was played Russell Edgington is it yeah, in yeah. The True Blood he, which is quite a funny character in that but he was all, he's also big in American Horror Story and my favourite role of his was as Elizabeth Taylor in Hotel Okay. and so when he was there I thought I've got to meet him and because being having my own show I had a press pass so I just walked straight up to him and introduced myself and had to chat (laughs) like you do and you gave him a book I gave him one of my books because he said he'd like to read it so I gave him a book a signed copy whether he'll read it or not I don't know but one day maybe I'll get a little message to say yeah I loved your book that'd be great (laughs) maybe I'll give HBO nudge for you yeah well that's kind of what I'm after but yeah there we go but no he's a lovely lovely guy quite happy to chat you know and he's very much into he's always been fascinated by horror because he's always felt a bit on the outside mm-hmm. um, and never fitted in which is like I suppose I was the same and that and I, and I think horror gives you a place to fit almost because they're all every, every character in horror is almost like a misfit in a world mm-hmm. you know there's something that's not normal as people call it you know and so okay. it, it sort of brings things together mm. That's good, that. Um, do you remember the series Being Human? I do. A great series, isn't it? Cause it re- mm. Okay, oh no, oh, 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 you are welcome to disagree with me. <laughs> no, no, it was good. I just didn't, I think it was more, and people are going to hate me for this, the uh, casting, because the guy who played the vampire, I can't remember his name, but he's done that other show that's on, and I can't remember what that's called. Poldark. Poldark. Yeah. I, 
Aiden, whatever his Aiden name Turner. is. Aiden Turner. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, no, not yeah. as a vampire. I needed a good wash. Left no. It, he, he, left he just looked grubby. Right. He left that to go and do um, The Hobbit, didn't he? He, 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 he stopped being a vampire yeah. and become a hobbit. So. Yeah, it was a good, it was an interesting show. I did enjoy it, but, yeah. you know, I just thought... I wouldn't have put you as a vampire though. I wouldn't have. Ca- I wouldn't. Have, I think that's the trouble. I look at stuff and I thought I wouldn't have cast. You don't make that work enough for me. Mm-hmm. Did for other people, but not enough for me. The reason I met I threw in being human then is because I liked your kind of psychoanalysis of um, horror characters, yeah. and what worked for me in being human is when I understood that the writers for it originally put it as a, um, it wasn't going to be a supernatural thing but it's going to be an agoraphobic somebody with anger management anxiety and um, some other addiction sex addicts probably yeah, if it's a vampire I, I think something so. like that yeah um, so the anger management was the werewolf yeah. the agoraphobic was, was the, the ghost, ghost. And, and then that's really the, interesting uh, yeah. but they thought okay let's make this supernatural yeah. and it's, it's the anchoring of these characters indeed in very real human experiences yeah. obviously makes it work oh wow it's deep isn't it it's good I know so. hey we've got a bit <laughs> philosophical already haven't we we've only been here 10 minutes <laughs> what's going on <laughs> now I did say we were going to talk more about your work in this segment but we're yeah. going to bank that for the next one and then okay. introduce the next piece of music and we can have a roadmap for the next hour and 20 because Marie is going to be in the studio for the next hour and 20 minutes till 2 with me as I cover Steve's usual slot so if you're covering for Steve's usual show Steve's not here but I am so stick with me because we've got an hour and 20 minutes coming up talking about dark horror dark fantasy shows probably can touch on Walking Dead but I haven't seen it but I'm, I'm sure Marie can educate me on that and all sorts of other things now I also want to give an acknowledgement to Gothic MMU um, Manchester Metropolitan University um they do a gothic studies course and they gave a retweet for me this morning so thank you and I occasionally go to some of their events that they do uh, they do a, go- a gothic week around about October yeah it makes sense because it's approaching Halloween last year they screened a film um, the, the Neon Demon which is a, quite, a, quite a disturbing film it's about the fashion industry and to the extent to which it maybe devours people entering into it and consumes them so there are some very literal moments of consumption going on as well as any physical and metaphysical and emotional moments behind some of the principal characters where you don't quite know if they're human or who is the good well i say guy but it's, it's mainly women because it's a focus around the women's fashion um it, it's, it's good it shows the dehumanizing elements that can happen when it's all about what you look like who's going to be the best who's going to be the prettiest um who's going to have the edge over the other so i really recommend it it's a decent film it's, well it's, i used to go to modeling school so i can see where that's come from it's good yeah you, yeah if you like dark fantasy horror it, it's quite chilling but what uh, i'm really into film soundtracks and as i was watching it the electronic soundtrack i thought this this scratches my itch. I love this. So what I have here is the Demon Dance, which is from the Neon Demon original soundtrack. And welcome back into the studio. It's Tim and Marie here with you through to two o'clock. Marie is an author, so Marie. Yeah. Let's get around to talking about your books. Tell us, you've done two main fiction books so far? I've done, I've, I've written the, or I've published the first two in a series of four okay. books. So there's a story arc which covers four books. They are vampire, witchy base, and not the sparkly ones. I know we were talking about this yeah. before, but the, you know, my vampire Anthony in my book, he's a, he's a proper vampire. He's so, nasty. You know, he kills yeah. people. He does, he has to, he's seeking revenge. He wants to do this. Mm-hmm. But I try and build with any, horror character that I, I write I make them a real person because at the end of the day you know a vampire was a man once or a woman depending on who your vampire is they had a past they had a personality before what happened to them um, and I, I I do sometimes think that horror characters are very two-dimensional they're cast very two-dimensionally and they're just purely seen as you're a monster well no because they they weren't always like this and it's understanding and then you you can generate by creating a real person behind the character you can generate the empathy or the hate the the emotion Mm -hmm. from your readers from your audience for that character and even if they absolutely hate them that's great but i want i want my readers to have emotions for my characters not just the human ones if you know what i mean so i try and make them Real, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they've got to have that. Yeah, yeah. More, more than two D, more than black and white, more than they're evil, they're good, and it's that. There's a reason to have like sympathy for the yeah, monster. Yeah, definitely. Be, so, yeah, yeah. 
So, um, I mean, but I've, like I say, I've published the first two books, Bonds and Broken Bonds. Um, I'm just editing the third volume at the moment, which is called Bonds Rebound. And they are, it's about Anthony Cardover and Becca Martin. Now, Anthony is, um, he's a guy who was alive in the 17th century, so the late 1600s. He was wronged by his wife, which at the time was like the most humiliating thing that could happen. And he inadvertently sells his soul to a warlock who turns him into a vampire of sorts. Now, he's not a vampire you can stay, you can kill. He's, a, he's got a curse placed on him, and the only way he can break the curse is to kill his wife. Isabella and all her descendants okay. so he tries to find her he can't find her, he ends up having to leave for, for about a year, he comes back absolutely decimates the town looking for her, finally finds her kills her, nope he's still a vampire and what's happened, she has had with one of her liaisons she's got herself pregnant, she's had a child and okay. he cannot find this child so the local um, witch who is also his wife's mother has to put a spell on him to, and keeps him in a sarcophagus underground until she can find a cure for this curse. The problem is late 1600s, 1690s so, you know all the witch okay. trials yeah. that were going on she never did find that cure because she was, um, shall we say, burnt at the stake before yeah. she could do that so the story moves forward into the present day then where Becca Martin's going to, to, for a job um, at the church where he is buried in the, he's buried in the grounds of this church which has now been sold to developers like so many churches are at the moment to be turned into houses and he can feel her coming in and it's all about because the church is now deconsecrated the spells are breaking he's waking up and it's all about that. And Becca, didn't, she's descended from witches. She's descended from Anna, who was the witch who put him there. And um, it, she hates the fact that she's a witch. She's been ridiculed as a child. She's been bullied for it. She's been ostracized for being different. Mm-hmm. Again, we bring this theme in about people who are a bit outside. But the only way that she can survive and beat him is to accept who she is and believe in herself. And because she needs to be able to recreate these spells, she needs these to to sort of save herself from him. So it is that fight, whole fight for survival kind of thing. And the theme within the first book, within Bonds, is about self-acceptance and just being who you are. Just learn there's nothing wrong with who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, so what? You're a bit different. The best people in the world always are. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I look at it and that's the way we go into it. And then Broken Bonds takes it a bit further. I don't want to give too much away yeah, 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 because they are a saga. So you tell people what goes on and it's like, oh, well, I already know what goes on then. Um, but the third book does get a lot darker. You know, I think it's yeah, definitely more for In production at the moment. It is. I'm editing it. I've finished writing it. I've typed it up because I write longhand, you see. Okay. I, can't, I can't create through a keyboard, so I always write yeah. with a pen and paper. It's, maybe it's just the era I grew up. I don't know. <laughs> nice fountain pen, nice notebook. Yeah. Well, the medium is, the, is also the message so that things happen differently, yeah, don't they? Of course yeah, they do. I, I, I identify with that. Yeah. Uh, Folk listening in now or to the recording, whether that's a broadcast again here on Redshift or on Mixcloud or some other platform, where would they go to see your website? What's your web address? It's www.marieannecope. It's Anne with an E mm-hmm. and then it's dot com. So, and then all my books are on there. You can read about me. You can read about my books. I've got all my blogs on there, my film reviews and all that sort of stuff. So it's all on that website there. And mm-hmm. all the books are available on Amazon, um, paperback and Kindle. So excellent, all there. So yes, it is all there. Um, I've had a, a dig around Marie's website over oh, a couple of weeks now. We've been sort of looking to arrange a time and place, and uh, oh, yeah, it's worth good. So I'm going to play a piece of music now, which will introduce one of the subjects of conversation. Just after the top of the hour, this is the theme to Twin Peaks, and that's where we're going to go just after one o'clock. Catch you soon. Thank you, Marie. So, Twin Peaks. Oh my goodness, did that work for you? Did you see the new series? We're just having a little exchange here in in the <laughs> studio, me, me uh, Marie, and myself. I loved it, Marie. You you didn't just just to say so. Sh- just didn't work for me. I stopped. I I gave it a fair go. I mean, my time is so limited. I think that things need to really pique my interest for me to keep watching so I did watch about six episodes of it but I just thought I know this is supposed to be bizarre it's always been a bizarre show but no it doesn't work for me and I think well, as we were discussing the first series it was it was all anchored around the death of Laura Palmer so you had as a sort of catalyst for everything that was going on in the town yeah. what he didn't do with the second series was give you a catalyst at the start of the show so you were kind of watching it and I was like What's going on? Okay. Why is Cooper in like this, I mean, car salesman style 
person and then he's appearing in this then he's about nine foot tall as some blooming tangoed road warrior or whatever he was supposed to be and all this kind of stuff and it just didn't work and I just thought okay. oh do you know what I've got better things to watch than this so I stopped watching it okay. well at least, at least you tried some yeah, people dismiss it before no, they even try no because I loved the first series so I was really excited I thought it'd be another murder and I thought they'd get him back in and then you'd meet all the old char- weird characters and you know all their quirkiness and that's what I was expecting that's what I was hoping for and it just no have you seen much other David Lynch say Mulholland Drive or Lost Highway um no I because he, he loves to do things in a non-linear mm. way, um, sort of very postmodern. Doesn't want you to completely understand it or people to make up their own minds on things. So. No, anyway, no it's, it's, maybe I should then. Maybe it, I should try one. Yeah, well, you'll come away thinking, what did that mean? Mulholland Drive is is, is as confusing as you will ever get to a film. You'll you'll get to the end of it and you're thinking, huh? Who's in that? Is that Matt Dillon, is it? Well, uh, no, I, can't I can't recall offhand, but I'm going to need to cut okay. away from just a moment. But it's, it's good to have a different point of view. And we'll be back to you <laughs> soon. Intrusion of the jingle there. Redshiftonline.org So what really, really spooks you when you come to thinking about horror and dark fantasy? Marie and I were just talking there, because it relates to the piece of music I've got coming uh, up next, which will be Salem's Lot Aria, Lisa Gerrard and Patrick Cassidy from the more recent version of Salem's Lot, but the original David Soul. That really creeps you out. You, you it can't... is. It's one of those films. Now, I watched, I think this is where my fascination for horror came from. As a much too young child, when, um, you know, remember when the video man used to come around with his little van and you yeah. rented videos? Well, uh, my yeah, dad he's... was really into his horror films, so while he was at work, I used to sit and watch them. And bearing in mind, I was probably 9, 10, 11, really shouldn't have been watching these, and Salem's Lot was one of them. Okay. I watched it up to a point, and I think it was, you know, when there, was there a, uh, um, that white vampire was in the prison or in the jail, in a cell, yeah. and it kept forward, and its teeth were in the front. Now, that was it. Freaked me out. Didn't sleep for weeks after that. Then about 15 years ago, me and my friend, we both said, right, we're going to watch this film. Put it on. Sat there. Staring at us, oh, we're all right. We got past that scene. No, this is going well. This is going well. And then, you know how you have those timers on your lights? Well, they flicked off and all the lights went out and we both screened the place down that, and I said, that's it, it's going off. And I have, to this day, never seen that film all the way through. Okay, not even in a day. What, no, because I've never, I think it's one, if I got it now, and I, I'm going to go and get it now and okay. I'm going to watch it just so I know what happens. But it's just weird, isn't it? The, the funniest things, because it probably won't scare me now watching it, but I think because the lights went out, it kind of yeah. freaks you out and that, that was it. It was like, no, I can't watch it anymore. That's too... That's twice I've tried to watch this film and something's happened and I can't do it now. Yeah, we were watching It recently. and um, The original or the new one? The new one, which I think is amazing. Very, very good. I love it. It's so much more than a horror film. Again, it's, 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 but, it's, it's real people in yeah, it. Yeah, it stories. is, but they've done the horror part, which is the best bit. Now they're going to do the sci-fi bit, which is the bad bit. Because I, I loved it until you found out what it was and I went, oh, why did you have to ruin it? Why couldn't you have left it as a clown? It's far more scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's my view. Okay. <laughs> um, so we were watching that, and it was in, a, it was in an Airbnb, and the lights flickered a couple of times during Ooh. it. So and I saw it at the cinema. I had to, I had to see it at the cinema. Yeah, so I, I saw it at the cinema. I, I read the book as a child. Um, as I, I, my, my two favourite authors as a child were Stephen King and James Herbert. Hey! And, yeah, uh, and so I was reading, I read it, and also did read um, Salem's Lot as well, and Pet Cemetery and yeah. that kind of stuff. So, ah. so a, a, any other particular authors... Or works that really really scare you? No, because I don't yeah. I don't scare easily. I think the things that scare me are stuff that aren't necessarily horror. Being in a confined space. So I remember watching The Descent. I don't know if you've seen it when they go um, caving and they go down right down into that mountain and they they come across these mountain dwellers that are just albinos and they've been down there. So they you know they. Mm-hmm detect sound rather than anything yeah, yeah. but it wasn't it wasn't the creatures that freaked me out it's the one of the girls got stuck in one of these tunnels and i nearly passed out in the cinema because i was hyperventilating because i'm claustrophobic okay. and that's what scares me and i think the only other thing that's done that to me is or a horror film would be the serpent in the rainbow you've seen that's a um, wes craven film no but it sounds good it, it is it's based on it's set in haiti and it's kind of based around 
there's a powder that exists, and I can't remember the name of it, but which do- I think it's real, and which doctors can use it. And it's, they blew it in, in the film. It was blown in your face, and what it would do would slow your heart rate down. Okay. There's lots of stuff that does this to a point where you can't be detected. And because of the um, climate over there in that part of the world, they bury you within 24 hours, okay. and then you wake up. Yes, and it was about the buried alive thing, and that more than anything freaks me out. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. the James Bond film; they had that, and he was going through what was it, um, the cremation thing, yeah. wasn't he, in the coffin? And I was like, oh no, 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 I can't watch this, can't watch this. It's that. <laughs> oh no, anything that involves confined being, you know, I think it's the not being able to breathe and the yeah. compression. No, no. You know, you're yeah. just thinking, panic. yeah, blind panic. That scares me. Okay. Wow. Yes, uh, I, th- I think, yes, at times I've, I've thought I'd rather be cremated than be buried. Just what if? Yeah, the only reason what you, if you woke up? <laughs> and you, have to, you, you do have these tales of people having been yeah. exhumed and there are claw marks, um, fingernail marks inside, so they had come to whilst being buried at some point. Well, it's, this is a but, phenomenon because it happened during the plague and this is where Saved by the Bell, you know, the term Saved by the Bell comes mm-hmm. from because during the times of plague, they used to bury them because of risk of infection mm-hmm. and so many people, and they used to, what they used to do is tie a piece of string around the finger and there'd be a bell above the grave so if they woke up and moved, the bell would ring mm-hmm. and then they could be dug up and you start thinking, you're thinking, these cemeteries are quite far away from a town. <laughs> <laughs> you're lucky if the night watchman's going to eat you and what if it's during the day and you yeah. think but yeah there are so many and they started making safety coffins with all this stuff in of how they had you know get out of these coffins and dig their way out the one thing they always forgot to put in was a breathing tube so it's alright if you wake up but you're not going to last very long because <laughs> they put everything else all the other creature comforts in yeah. except the one thing you need a breathing tube I'll I tell, I tell you one real piece of, of, of real horror um, there's a churchyard um, out Rushton Spencer past um, Macclesfield Congleton okay. um, it's, it's a remote countryside churchyard kind of slightly on a hillock and there is a grave there oriented around the other way it's not facing east it's facing west Ooh. and this is the true story of what happened um, the, now the guy was I think, an, uh, an assistant or apprentice to an, an apothecarist in Stone and Staffordshire I can't remember the guy's name in Stone and Staffordshire but he was an unsuitable suitor to this apothecarist's daughter. And this this princess that had a rapid illness was buried quickly. Um, that's right. And he used to go delivering with a donkey on, on his rounds with the drugs and stuff. I can't remember what period it is, but this this is all there uh, documented. Uh, and this donkey began pouring at his grave after a time. Uh, anyway, so circumstances pointed to exhuming and when they exhumed him they found that there were indeed sort of fingernail claw marks underneath so yes he had been um, rendered sort of lifeless but was actually still alive came to in the grave and then died again in the graveyard in 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 the grave so was then um completely exhumed and taken to his home parish of Rushton Spencer, just south from Macclesfield, east from Congleton. But because of the traumatic circumstances of his death, and I think to help stop his spirit from wandering, I think it's part of the mentality of it, they oriented the grave to face west and not east to make sure that he stayed settled. Allegedly. Ah. So, so, anyway, there you go. Interesting. Yeah. They usually do it if they suspect they were vampires, because that was the other thing. They assumed people who were clawing to get out were vampires, Mm -hmm. because the Victorians were very paranoid about this sort of stuff. And if anything was suspected, they used to actually dig people up and stake them and chop their heads off and all that sort of stuff, (laughs) because they were that paranoid that that's what they were. There's a grave, um, speaking of graves oriented around the other way, there is a grave oriented um, north-south in Burzum Churchyard, St John's and Burzum, Stoke-on-Trent, and it's the grave of Molly Lee, who was allegedly a witch. Um, And to me, it just speaks of dodgy clergy goings on, really, and trying to malign people who don't fit in. Well, yeah. Um, Maybe a slightly unattractive lady with quirky ways, who was um, proficient at what she did. Oh, she must be a witch. And anyway, so they they uh, reoriented her grave to be north, south, not east, west, to ch- confine mm. her so that she didn't wander as a witch. Um, horrible. Well, some of the some of the stuff about being a witch. It was like if you were sort of in your mid forties, single, or maybe you were married with no children, mm-hmm. and you um, you know you had an opinion of your own. God forbid you should have an opinion of your own. But in those times, you were thought, oh, you must be a witch. They were that 
flighty and you know you've heard the whole thing if you've got moles well how many of us are covered in moles (laughs) god they keep the population down by getting rid of people covered in moles now wouldn't they Yes, very vague the way they used to assess it. And I think it's just like you say, it's people who spoke out against the norm or, you know, whoever was in power at the time. Okay, so we came out of Salem's Lot into... Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones and Westeros, yes. So... Marie's a little further ahead than myself in Game of Thrones. <laughs> I haven't seen season seven. Um, Marie has, and obviously if you're listening in... Spoiler alert. Yes, though. just a spoiler alert, because I expect that we will go into spoilers here, okay? So go and make yourself go, go and make yourself a cup of tea if you don't want to know anything that happens. Certainly, well, in, yeah, Game of Thrones season seven. So if you're not up to there, then, yeah. Because I came to some spoilers recently. I love looking through Game of Thrones memes on Instagram and stuff. It's, like, it's great fun. But if you haven't seen all of it, you do pick up spoilers. We were just discussing dragons. Dragons. I love the dragons. Best thing they did with Game of Thrones was bring those dragons into it. I think they're great. They are. They're amazing. Yes, I was just... They come from these tiny little things in the palm of Daenerys's hands. Studies. Well, they're just like loyal, loyal to her, yeah. to her alone, really. But then, obviously, in, in season seven, they meet um, Jon Snow, mm. who we all know, as it's been hinted at for so long, that him and Daenerys are related to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they, um, shall we say, get a little bit closer than maybe siblings should okay. in season seven. <laughs> but you know, the dragon doesn't. He allows. Jon Snow to go up to him and I can't remember which of the dragons it is it might be because there's one of them that I think's the boss dragon Drogon I, can't, I think yeah and yeah. I think it's Drogon the one that's been um, spoiler alerted spoiler alert speared by the uh, yeah I was hoping it wasn't oh, I don't know no, because I, I don't know it's hard to distinguish between them they could have at least painted them different colours or something like that but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are some. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do firmly believe, and I'm probably going to be wrong because I've never read the books, and I don't even know whether it's still following the books because I've heard a few people say it's not even following the books mm. now. But I, yeah. do, I, I believe that the dragon that is now on the other side, shall we say, on the White Walker side, will still be loyal to Daenerys. I think the bond mm-hmm. between her and the dragons will transcend what the White Walkers have done to it. Mm. That is my hope in my heart because I can't bear to think that it wouldn't be. It's almost like when when they got it, you thought, no, for goodness sake, can't these guys have some good luck? (laughs) (laughs) Now they've got a dragon as well. (laughs) It it is such a good series because so many TV series, like the the main protagonists, if they get killed, and I know Game of Thrones has done this once, and I still remain a bit funny about it. Like, if they get killed, there's always a get-back clause, and they somehow come back yeah. or get rescued for the last minute. And in the first season, with Ned Stark's head oh. on the block... I, was, I, was thinking, I only started watching Game of Thrones because of Sean Bean, and then he was gone in the first series. <laughs> so what's that all about? Yeah, right, <laughs> he was watching it, and he was thinking, somebody's got to save him. Somebody's got to save him. Like, he's the good guy from the North, and he's dead. And like some Game of Thrones episodes you come out of, you, you need You're therapy. You do the Red Wedding. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. I was I like, thought, <gasps> yes, they're going to take down House Lannister. Yes, go. And then they just uh, assassinated them. Dead. It's like no. Like, I, I seriously sat on the floor, uh, almost my. F- Chin they are very the good at the cliffhanger, aren't they? So, and then, well, when they did Jon Snow, I'm going all the way through. Don't, don't kill Jon Snow. Don't you dare kill Jon Snow. And I was going, no. Uh-huh. That was it. I think uh-huh. I put a Facebook post. That's it. Me and Game of Thrones are done. Mm-hmm. And somebody went, well, don't be done quite yet. So it kind of gave away what was going to happen sort of thing. Yeah. Um, there's also, oh, what was his name? He, he was Tyrion's champion against the Viper and the Giant, uh, the Viper and the Mountain. Um, Vaguely. I know who you mean. And you've got to have that episode where you think he's won. And, you, and, he, and he gets. Oh, and, he yes. get, and he's really cocky. <gasps> and, you, and you're thinking, you haven't killed him yet. Just don't get so cocky, please. And then he has that mind blowing experience. And it's like, no. The only cheering <laughs> moment was when Blooming Joffrey got done in. It was like, <laughs> yes, at last. Yes, we've been building up for this for some time. Yes. Oh. 
Good. Oh, it's fun to be enthused about Game of Thrones. Now we just want Cersei done in, and then we're, we'll be happy. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I've reflected on this sometimes. Like, how will Game of Thrones conclude? Because surely it can't end up with sort of Daenerys becoming queen and everything sort of becoming a sort of hippie, blissed, <laughs> egalitarian regime. That's just not Game of Thrones. No, but I think that's kind of the idea behind it, because she... I think they're using it. She is able to sort of command these people in a nice way and people want to be governed by her for want of a better expression mm-hmm, yeah. she has that effect on people because she's more personable than anybody else it's almost like she's not a, she's not going to be a dictator it's going to be more of a democracy or whichever way you want to look at it mm-hmm. but then you're not going to get everybody on side you're always going to have your factions like the iron islands is it the guys on the yeah. iron islands are yeah. they going to come over because they've kind of got rid of the good ones and they've got uncle whatever his name is who's a bit of a loose cannon who thinks he's going to marry Cersei at some point (laughs) but you can see how at first you thought um you wanted the uh, Jon Snow and his side of the family because I've I've forgotten their the name now. What's the family name? Stark. Stark. That's the one. Well, you kind of wanted the Starks to come, and then you thought, well, because I like both. I like Daenerys and I like Jon Snow and those mm. guys. And you think, and it's only when they introduce this familial link between them that you thought, ah, this could work then because they could both end up on the throne. Because let's face it, Game of Thrones doesn't really go care about all these. Um, <laughs> taboos about people being related being together they're yeah. not really bothered about stuff like that because in those days you kind of weren't because you were married to your cousins and brothers and sisters and all that if if necessary it was all about keeping the bloodline going wasn't it not about whether it's the dumb thing or not like mm. like today so you can see how those two families are going to come together but I think you're always going to have, and at the end of the day, the Lannisters aren't going to lie down unless they kill them. The only good yeah. one in there is Jamie. Because I do like Jamie Lannister. Jamie. His heart is in the right place. Not Tyrion. No, I like Tyrion, yeah. but Jamie as well. Okay. I think he's very much on the fence as to he's not convinced that his sister okay. slash other half is the right person for the job and I think he really is conflicted. Okay. I do like Jamie Lannister. I, look but I love Tyrion. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, What's yeah. his quote? We can say his quote. Um, you know, is it, I drink uh, and I know things. I drink and I know things. There are others I like, but I can't re- re- repeat no, them. <laughs> but he's. I think he's probably the best character in it. I just think he's so funny. I love his uh, sarcasm uh, discussions with um, the eunuch. Um, oh yeah, like, the stuff he comes out. They, 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 they're, they're bouncing off each other. So it's just brilliant yeah. script writing. So the future of Game of Thrones. Don't they? They've got some spin-off series plans, haven't okay. they? Yeah, there's going to be. So I think there's one of them is going to possibly be taking up to the time where Game of Thrones starts. So the right. backstory uh, to Ned. Oh, so you never know. You might get Sean Bean back. Only towards the end when he's older, because <laughs> the guy they introduced into it when they go back. Right. Yeah. Don't they? That's he's a very good lookalike uh, to a young girl, and you have to wonder. Oh, did Sean? Has Sean Bean got a son that's about the right age to play this person? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes, and I was reading just yesterday that um, the, the scripts I think for the final eight episodes have been written and apparently a lot of characters don't make it through to the end. Now, nah, why does that not surprise me? But you've got to do, you have to kill your darlings. I'm going to be doing it in my, oh, I shouldn't say that, in my last book. Not no. everybody's going to live yeah. because to finish something, it's almost like you do have to finish it Yeah. because otherwise everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, it's, it's open for something else. I've just finished watching Sons of Anarchy. I don't know whether you've ever seen it. Um, and they they pretty much, and I thought, they're going to kill the whole cast off the rate they're going. It was almost like, yes, there were a few survivors, but the main cast were gone. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like, we're not going to be raking anymore. So to prove that point, we're going to get rid of them all. Yeah. I was read, yeah. re- reading this interview, um, which was kind of spoilerish, but apparently there's the staff as they were reading, th- um, the cast as they were reading through this, the, some of the final scripts, like one by one, they sort of, sort of cried, and then they got rid- to the end point of it, and they all sort of stood up and cheered for about 15 minutes spontaneously. Yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway it's going to be, uh, I, I need to be watching it as it's transmitted. Usually I catch it about a year or two after it's been shown. Yeah. I think because it's so season, popular, I think, is it, the, so the next season, is it coming out this year or next? I it's going to be 2019. Yeah, yes, that's of, definitely the last season, isn't it? Yeah. Got, got to watch these episodes as it happens because yeah. that's going to be. Cause they've been coming events. out annually, haven't they? Yeah, it's usually about April time it comes out, but yeah. I'm not seeing the adverts. It must yeah. be now. I think it's going to be about a, a 90 minute episode for the last season. And it's going to only be eight episodes, and they've spent about 15 million dollars on each episode. Great. So 
anyway, so that's going to be something. All right, we need to have some music, so we're going to head into a bit more kind of Stephen King again once again with Tangerine Dream, Charlie the Kid from the film Firestarter, Young Drew Barrymore. Yeah, yep. not seen that one. That's very good. We maybe can touch on that, and then we will talk about some of Marie's short stories after Tan- Tangerine Dream, Charlie the Kid. Back to the studio here with Marie, and uh, Marie is an author. We've touched on. Uh, Marie's major work so far but you also do short stories I do I've published a collection of short horror stories so they're all they're not just vampires you know I've got some werewolf stories I've got the two short stories that I've had published elsewhere um, Three Silver Bullets which is a werewolf story and also Sheer Hell which was quite funny because it was a guy I used to work with was a big into climbing and there was this competition in Climb Magazine he said oh I've got to write a story and he went who do I know that writes stories and he came over to me he said oh you write me a short story so I can win this climbing gear i said you do know what i write don't you and he just looks at me and went yeah i said you do know it'll be scary don't you he went yeah so i wrote this climbing related story but it's all about the mountain rejecting the climbers so it's it's kind of it's still horror based so that got published on climb magazine's website um and then i've got um a curse raven bridge which is all about um a curse on a town and that was inspired when i was actually driving down the m6 and Mm -hmm. you know when you go under the bridges and there was just literally a row of now i don't know if they're ravens or crows or blackbirds sitting a lot filling the whole of the bridge and i just got this really uneasy feeling as i drove under it and that's what sparked the story because i just thought oh it was like they were watching you as you were going under and plotting and it was like ooh, are they just picking people off and that's kind of where raven bridge came from and then i've got um, a story in there called How Does Your Garden Grow about a female serial killer which I won't go into detail on because we're on daytime television te- television daytime radio I don't know what you mean maybe we are on the television <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's done from the written from the point of view of the serial killer and um, quite a few people have said to me you need to make this into a full length novel so that's another project but yeah so you've got a mix of everything in there and people are loving them they love the short stories I'm I'm writing more now but I tend to I've kind of changed a little bit how I write the story so rather than writing from the third person as in you know Bob did this I'm writing them from the first person Yeah, makes it more intimidates people have said it's far scarier when you're writing it as if it's actually happening to you yeah than you're watching it happening to somebody else. And also, writing in the first person, you can kind of hide things, you know, hide the twist a lot better. But I also, when I write in short stories now, I, I've i got one ruminating in my head because I run a writing group as well, so I kind of set them a task. So this task is ruminating in my head because I like to have, sus- have the end in my head before I write okay. the beginning. Can- and that's, yeah, because then you can wind the twist and rather than just writing it all and hoping... It'll g- come out right. Come out with a twist at the end. I do it backwards. I kind of write it backwards. So, um, so I'm getting a collection together because I've got ideas for um, a few more short story books to come out. Okay. Yeah, and one of my short stories, and this may laugh, actually won Wrexham's Carnival of Words last year. But it wasn't a horror story. It was, as I term it, the closest thing to romance I'm ever going to write. Okay. And it was called Two Days. And I howled with laughter when it got called out. And everyone said, oh, see, you can write things other than horror. <laughs> Which I kind of found highly amusing. Now, we were discussing just before we went on air that some have likened your writing to the style of James Herbert. Yes, yeah. yeah. One of my favourite horror books and probably my favourite James Herbert book was The Magic Cottage, which that- is written in the first person. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's the that's the book they quote as the as the being the nearest okay. to the way I write, which okay. I found a massive compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it was like a huge compliment. That's, yeah, that's kudos. Definitely. Very yeah, good. It's very. So. And I love Magic Cottage. Yeah, I've read it a few times. Not done touched it for a few years, but I, I read it as my parents were travelling up and down the country going to dog yeah. shows when I was a child. And uh, I have sort of memories of sitting in motorway service stations, sort of reading it. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Good no, stuff. I've read it. It's a very good story. I, I enjoyed it. It's all witchy based as well, isn't it? It's more supernaturally. Yeah, in, ca- ca- yeah, it's yeah. Almost, uh, yeah. Um, a cultic activity. Yeah. Interesting. So, did you start doing short stories first, or yeah. your big story? Yeah, yeah no, short stories were the first, because I, when I, I started off, and people laugh at this story, I was at primary school when I wrote my first horror story, um, I'd watched Jaws when I shouldn't, you know, very young, we've also covered that I like to watch my horror films very young, and I decided when they said, oh, write a story, I thought, great, 
So I drew a lovely picture in my exercise book of a severed arm being found on the beach, coloured the beach in yellow. I can still see it now. Wrote the story about this. The teacher went absolutely mental. She wrapped me on the knuckles with a metal ruler like you could in those days mm. and said, don't you ever write anything like that again. And I didn't until I was in my mid-twenties. I never wrote a word again. Okay. And that's how dangerous in a way people can be by not encouraging instead of thinking okay there's a theme there she, maybe she wants to go down a different route it was like don't you dare write that again so it was in my 20s I can't I don't know what sparks you know what which of the voices suddenly said come on it's about time you got going again um, and I started entering loads of writing competitions but because I wrote horror they were always coming back going no 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 um, but I thought no I'm going to do this and I sent three silver bullets off and it was funny because I'd just heard the word three silver bullets I was I overheard it in somebody's conversation it just sparked something so it's silver bullets werewolves yeah, and that yeah. was it and I wrote this story in half an hour and it got published in 13 magazine and then the sheer hell that I was telling you about for the climb climbing story that got published on their website and just went from there but it was only when I went to a wedding in a church in Shropshire I saw I don't like weddings so I was kind of looking around I saw a stone sarcophagus at the back of this church and I thought that's a bit unusual in a rural church to see mm-hmm. something like this and it was covered in etchings so I start, I got my notebook out and I started copying them down and as I was doing it this story started to form in my head and that was how Bonds was born and I think if I'd never gone to the wedding I may never have written the book and that yeah. whole saga that I've created would never have you know come to fruition so it's quite interesting how things progress really it is yes yes we never know what interactions lead to other actions and exactly but i do find i think short stories a lot harder to write i find than a novel a novel is quite easy to write Mm -hmm. short story because you're trying to get everything in to a much smaller space because you still need to have a story arc you still need to have a beginning a middle and an end you still need to have a hook you still need to have that twist and get your characters over and all that but you've got a much smaller window to do it in so but yeah it's good practice okay we're gonna have some music now and this is a piece which you kind I of have. nominated it's well you want to, you want, do you want to introduce it. it and say why um, do you want to tell, say what the song is, shall we? Yeah, go yeah, on. So oh, it's Paint oh. It Black by the Rolling Stones. Um, it's It was the music from the trailer for The Mummy, the Tom Cruise version of The Mummy, which I found to be a fantastic film. A lot of people slated it, saying, oh, it's not a very good thriller. And I said, well, it's a horror film, not a thriller for a start. I thought the effects in it were brilliant. The story was brilliant. The way it was done. Russell Crowe as Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde was hilarious. I can't wait to see him again in that role. But there's, it's the first of a franchise because they're remaking a lot. Well, remaking for a modern audience the original films that were brought out. So you had The Mummy. You're gonna, I think you're having The Bride of Frankenstein as the next one, which I think is next year. They're going to do a Doctor Jack. I think Doctor Jack and the Invisible Man. I think there's the four they're going to do for okay. those. And they've got some big actors lined up for them. But they're not the same stories as the original per- exactly but they're a modern interpretation on it and that, it was just brilliant and this song I think the the intro to this is just I don't know it sends it sends shivers up my spine really can we write this yeah put it on welcome back into the studio Tim and Marie with you until oh two just short of 15 minutes left now so we've got to fit in a couple more talky bits and we realised with horror no pun intended I guess um, <laughs> that we've not talked about ghosts and um, I thought yes we must talk about ghosts so I was looking around Marie's website and she reviewed the film Winchester I the have. Helen Mirren version yeah because yeah. there was a version done a few years ago and it's one of the worst films I've ah, ever seen right okay uh, it's not often I will drop watching a film and leave it I, I like to see how it works out but I got through about 20 minutes before, before I can't not, not because it was terrifying it's because it was lousy mm. so tell us about Winchester well Winchester it's actually based on true events I mean a lot of people have panned the film and said oh it's absolutely rubbish and all this sort of stuff but if you actually read the story because it's based on a true story it is very very close to the story so I don't know how you can pan something that is actually supposed to be what happened okay. but um, it's it's based around the Winchester rifle obviously people have heard of that and um, after I can't remember his first name but after Mr Winchester kicked the bucket Mrs Winchester moved across the country and started building this house and she reckoned um, that she was haunted by the spirits of the people who had been killed by the Winchester rifle and she was encouraged by them to build the rooms in certain styles so this is why her house 
reportedly was always under construction because people kept saying, I want this room, this room, and it's almost like they were recreating their own, their mm-hmm. own deaths. And I, I found it, for, for a paranormal film, I found it very, very good. I didn't find it scary, like I say. Things don't, unless you're actually in a haunted house, which can be pretty scary, because don't get me wrong, if somebody said to me, go and stay in a haunted house on your own, the answer would be, uh, no. If they said, go and stay in it with one other person, I'd be, yeah, no problem at all. Okay. I think it's that whole, having that one thing. But yeah, Winchester, I, I thought it was very, very well done. And it's that whole link with, um, the, the spirits linking linking to an object and coming back and wanting almost they want revenge on the family don't they their, their aim is they want to destroy the family that have basically destroyed them and that's what it's all about and a lot of yes it de- deals with malevolent spirits and if you you know you, you go to paranormal event and they, people always say oh well ghosts can't harm you they won't do you any harm having had something go inside of me i tend to disagree with that it's kind of it all depends on where you are, what okay. the spirits or what the spirit is, what they did, and what, in I suppose in in their lifetime as to their intent with you. Yes, a spirit can't kill you, mm-hmm. but it can probably make you feel pretty unwell if it wanted to. If you know what I mean. So, so you, you've done paranormal vigils. You go to yeah. overnight. So, yeah. Name some of the places that you've done vigils at. I've been that. to Stanley Palace in Chester. Okay. I used to be a member of a paranormal group, so that was kind of the the base that we used to go to. Okay. Um, I've done Plastag in Wrexham yeah. um, near me, which is near where I live, um, quite a few times. I've been to Bottlewidden Castle twice. Not a lot happening there. I've just uh, recently I went to Nankluidy Dre in Rithin, which is supposed to be the most haunted house in Rithin. Um, there, there had been um, quite a lot of activity the last time they'd gone there involving a cross on a wall and some um, very bizarre happenings but the people who own the house I think it's run it's one of those houses you can go around and have it removed the cross from the said wall okay. and so these things didn't happen um, I've been to Rithin Jail I've been to um, yeah, I know I was going to do Riffin Jail but it got cancelled so I went to Bumaris Jail instead ah, Newsham Park Asylum was probably my favourite place in Liverpool Okay, to go round and all, I've never been to an asylum before and the buildings it, itself are fascinating but to go round a place that it's basically it's falling apart and how on earth they, they get clearance for people to go in I've no idea but it's really eerie because everything's just left you know you can okay. go in there's papers there and we were in the morgue we went and I've got so many things happened while we were there it was just whoa do, do, do you consider yourself sensitive in any way do you pick up stuff I, or? I'm what people what they call transcendent I can feel things okay. so I can't see things I can see orbs and stuff but I can't see a spirit could come and stand in front of me and I couldn't see it I could feel it mm-hmm but I can't and so you know very few people are can have the whole package you get a clairvoyant you can get a clairaudient clairsentient there's quite a lot of different things but all I, I tend to feel stuff I can feel things when I walk into a room I can feel a spirit if it touches me spirits have like got like we were saying gone inside you almost not a possession style but have but gone in to the point it. until I was removed from the room and then it came out again that was a bizarre experience and all this kind of stuff and you can fit you know it, it it is just those 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 feelings, and it's hard to explain because if you're touched by a spirit, it's almost it's not like somebody's touching you, but you know, if some just something imperceptibly brushing, say the tips of the hairs on your arm mm-hmm. or something, that's what it feels like. It's a tingling kind of feeling, and it's amazing, but it's also quite freaky because it's almost like you want to see see what this person looks like, or maybe you don't <laughs> <laughs> because maybe it's a monster, you know. But yeah, I mean, it's fantastic, and but it is. Like when we were at Newstrom Park, you went into the wards, and the minute I walked in the ward, it just felt this pressure on my chest, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I was struggling to breathe. And I just thought, is this real? So I walked, stepped outside back into the corridor, and it went, stepped back into the ward, and it was again that pressure. And you can imagine in the days when they were allowed to subdue patients, they would have had a lot of pressure on their chest to hold yeah. them down while they were strapped down yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And it's feelings like that, and I get that a lot 
in different places and it you know sometimes it freaks me out and other times it's like makes me quite emotional because you can feel what these people yeah. went through we're going to need to wind this segment up for the moment yeah. we could do a, 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 another whole show maybe or even we many should shows. paranormal show yeah because I, I, I used to go stores I've done a number of vigils myself I've had some experiences I fancy I may be slightly more on a sceptical side than yourself but mm-hmm. I, I have had enough oh, no, to- I can't I, I believe but yeah. I'm also I am a health I would say I'm a healthly okay. sceptic I don't believe in everything like, I prove yeah, yeah. I want if I I only believe if I can you know if I felt it I obviously I'll believe it but there are so many people that go to these things that force stuff and it's so obvious it's not real yeah. and that annoys me we've got another big big can of worms package explored <laughs> there we'll, we'll, we'll bank that one for the moment okay. and maybe we'll have to come back to that in the future that's just really great stuff okay. just a brief musical interlude and then we will need to do our rap so here's Alan Silvestri with the theme from Beowulf that's epic uh, literally and indeed it is Beowulf Alan Silvestri so Phil is getting ready to come in and bring his show Redshift Kitchen with Philip Martin so we need to be winding up soon so the last two minutes here with Marie it's been an absolute delight enthusing about things dark fantasy horror and films of you Marie it's been a really good afternoon oh, it's been great thanks Thank, for having me thanks for coming across it's great to be able to talk about dark stuff <laughs> uh, well we've identified we could probably talk many many more hours about these things there we go <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a plan so people could also find you on another radio station they can I've got my own show on Callan FM over in Wrexham um, it's on 105 FM again it's it's made it's an internet based radio unless you're in Wrexham itself and you can get it obviously on digital um, it's called Into the Darkness and it goes out every other Wednesday so it'll be out this Wednesday night at 9pm on Callan FM and you do that live? Um, no, no I cheat and record it okay. <laughs> simply to fit in with my schedules really so um, Into the Darkness on Callan FM. FM it is yes and people listening in either live now or in the future on the various platforms that this will go out on where will they find your stuff? Remind us again. You're well, on my, web, my website is www.marieann with an e, cope at, um, sorry, dot com. And my Facebook is at Marie Anne Cope Author. And Twitter is at Marie Anne Cope. So I'm on all those three. You can find me on there. It'd be great to hear from people. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so I've, I've connected with you, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think we'll have to have conversations again in the future and sort of maybe map things out. Definitely, that's great. Yeah, that's really been really good. So um, I will be back here this evening. No, just for a moment. Thank you very much, Marie. I'm no, do thanks the, for having me. I'm going to do the final wrap now. Phil is in in five minutes' time. I will leave you with uh, Mick Smiley, Magic as from Ghostbusters, and I'll be back here again in four hours' time for my evening usual slot with music themed around the equinox and connecting with the landscape so thank you very much for me and also from marie thank you you're very welcome (laughs) thanks for your company here on viva various podcasts please remember to subscribe to be able to keep automatically up to date with future episodes and the forthcoming episodes will be interviews with fantasy and horror writers. I did a few interviews with authors during my time doing something different on Redshift Radio and uh, looking forward to bringing them to you as podcasts. You can find me on all the usual social media hangout places, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. And if you need to get in touch, you can send me an email, Tim Prevett, that's P-R-E-V-E-T-T at gmail.com. Look forward to catching your company again soon. Do take care. All new material, copyright Tim Prevett.